Well, you made me seated. Good morning, Orchard. Good morning to those of you watching online from across the United States in Hawaii, Vanuatu, wherever you may be, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. We're glad that you're here joining us to study the Word of God and the God of the Word as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. And today, we're going to examine just one, and yet the entire one, chapters devoted to the life of the Apostle Paul. But before we get into our study this morning, please take a look at this brochure that was included in your bulletin. Uh, you'll find details regarding an incredible opportunity to join your orchard family on an amazing study tour of Greece, Turkey, Italy, we're going to be following in the footsteps of Paul. We're going to be exploring Istanbul, Mars Hill, the Acropolis, Philippi, Athens, Rome, and the list goes on and on. There's so much more. And additional information is available at our Welcome Center, uh, the doors that you came in this morning. And you can also register online or, of course, you can always call the church office for uh, more information. Space is limited. It filled up last year on our study tour of Israel, and it will fill up again this year for the footsteps of Paul. So don't delay. It's an awesome opportunity to grow deeper in your faith with a fantastic group of people from the orchard. Well, as you know, you Bible students, the book of Acts is actually a letter. And the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Luke was a physician. He wasn't a sailor. He wasn't a merchant marine. But historians tell us that Acts chapter 27 is a masterful account of what really takes place, what really took place when storms come up on the Mediterranean Sea. Luke describes with amazing accuracy the exact techniques that were used by sailors to, uh, to guard against shipwrecks. After all, the Mediterranean is a graveyard of ancient shipwrecks. So let's begin our study, Acts chapter 7, beginning, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. Acts 27, verse 1. The Bible says, when the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Now, early in his ministry, Paul knew about Rome. He knew that all roads led to Rome. But he also knew that those same roads that led to Rome led from Rome. And so if he could just get to Rome, he could take the gospel and spread it around the world from Rome. So at last, Paul was on his way on an all-expense-paid cruise to Rome. Now, <laughs> now it's important to remember that ships of those days, ships that Paul sailed on, were more like what we would call barges today. They were shaped almost uh, 
squarely in the, in the front of the ship uh, as they were at the bow of the ship, at the, at the stern of the ship. And the single mast that these ships had was rigged with one huge sail making this very large wooden vessel square at the front, square at the end, very difficult to maneuver even under ideal conditions. Now, there were other prisoners, the Bible tells us, traveling on the same ship, and they had already been sentenced to death. They were on their way to uh, entertain that demon-possessed Caesar as they would fight to their death, every one of them, purely for his entertainment. Now, the Bible says that there was a Roman officer on board the ship. His name was Julius, and he was in command of all the prisoners uh, of the ship. So let's pick our study up in verse 2. The Bible says in Acts 27, verse 2, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramitium on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore and visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. So the Bible says the ship was, was uh, set sail and it, and it made its way north to Sidon. Sidon is that city, many of you have heard, in what is now southern Lebanon. And because the ship was a coastal ship, it wasn't built for the high seas and it hugged the coast as much as possible as it made its way uh, to avoid capsizing. After it reached Sidon, Julius gave Paul liberty to go visit his friends. Now I find it interesting that uh, although Julius had, had known Paul for only a day, just a day, there was something in Paul's character, something about Paul that caused Julius to have absolute confidence in him and to let him go visit his friends, knowing that he would return, that he wouldn't try to break bail and run, wouldn't try to escape. So the Bible says in verse 4, putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia, Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Snidus. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salmoni. Now, the Bible says there were several stops along the way on Paul's journey, but they eventually crossed the Mediterranean Sea and sailed on to the island of Crete. Let's pick our study up in verse 8. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lassie. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for street sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Verse 10, men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. 
shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. Now, late fall is a dangerous time to be at sea with the winter storms approaching. Robin and I have been on the Sea of Galilee, and we have watched from the shore of, of, this, of the, I'm sorry, the Mediterranean Sea uh, during this time of the year, and those waves surpass even the, some of the giant surf that we witnessed when we were living in Hawaii. So Paul spoke to the captain saying, this is a bad time to be sailing. Now you Bible students know that Paul was a tent maker by trade, a rabbi by profession, and a prisoner by choice. But don't forget that Paul had been shipwrecked three different times prior to this. And he spent an entire night all alone out in the high seas. So Paul, <laughs> he, he knew a thing or two about the dangers of the open sea. Verse 11 says, But the officer in charge of the prisoner listened more to the ship's captain and to the owner than to Paul. Now, although the officer in charge heard Paul's warnings, he paid more attention to the owner of the ship and to the captain of the ship and what they had to say. We've got cargo to deliver, they said. The crew chiming in, there's money to be made. We want to get paid, so, so let's go with the majority and let's sail on. And off they went. Well, the Bible says in verse 12, and since fair havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor, with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. Did you notice in verse 13 that at first the winds blew gently? And that's the way it always is. When we don't listen to the word of the Lord, when we go our own way, we're just blown along gently. The sailing is good. Life is smooth. We're just gently blown along. But when? But when the typhoon winds start to blow, which they inevitably will, we're blown away totally and completely. And so we see four mistakes here that the sailors made that led to a shipwreck. First, the sailors were impatient. Although it wasn't the season for sailing, these guys just wanted to get on with their journey and get paid. Are you in a hurry? <laughs> Slow down. Slow down. When you're not sure which way to go, stay right where you are. Wait 
on the Lord. Oh, sure. It can be a hard thing to do, a very hard thing to do, but it's so, so, so important. Second, we learn, the sailors took a vote. Hmm. <laughs> Did you notice that the officer in charge said, okay, Paul, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also hear what the owner and the captain are saying. So the crew chimed in, and there was only one vote. Paul, he was outvoted. When we make decisions based on popular vote rather than the truth, the truth of God's word, we're in big trouble, whether it's an individual, an organization, or a nation. We need to know what God says, not what the world says, not what conventional wisdom is. Third, the sailors went with the winds. They went with the winds. Bob Dylan, for those of you that are old enough, maybe I'm the only one old enough to remember saying, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Now, that may have been true for Bob Dylan, but it's, it's definitely not true for us. The answer, my friend, is not blowing in the wind. The answer is found in the Word of God. The answer is directed by the Holy Spirit of God. Fourth, the sailors sought comfort. <laughs> they just wanted to get to Phoenix. Why? Well, Phoenix. When we think of Phoenix, there are nice green golf courses. Lots of restaurants, nice hotels, movie theaters. Oh, life is good, especially in the winter. No, not that Phoenix. Not that Phoenix. They were only 68 miles away from Phoenix. Uh, they might even catch a Suns game. Who knows? But isn't it true? Isn't it true how sometimes, how sometimes we are like those sailors? I know I sure am. Where is it the most comfortable? Where is it the easiest? Instead of where does the Lord want me to be? Well, let's continue our study in verse 15. The Bible says the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Kauda, where, with great difficulty... We hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound the ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sardis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. So the Bible says here that following the stress and strain of the storm, the crew wrapped the whole of the ship, wrapped it up with these massive ropes in an attempt to hold the ship together. They took down the one massive sail on the ship and lightened it by throwing all the ballast overboard. Uh, but, but, but the conditions, they just continued to get worse and worse and worse. The Bible says that they were afraid that they would run aground on the north coast of Africa. So what happens? 
Take a look at verse 18. The Bible says the next day, gale force winds continued to batter the ship, and the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. Verse 20, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. The Bible says these professional sailors did everything they knew, everything they could possibly do to make their ship safe, but all their efforts failed. All hope was lost. And these veteran seamen knew that they were going down. The Bible says in verse 21, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Did you notice here that Paul, he waited to say, you guys should have listened to me in the first place. He waited to say that until he could also say, but take heart, we're all going to make it. I love it. I love it. It's a good word, isn't it? It's a good word for us parents especially. A good word for us grandparents especially. We need to hold our tongue until, like Paul, we can give our kids and our grandkids words of encouragement along with words of correction. So the crew put their trust in the captain of the ship. A mistake, but Paul put his trust in the living God and what a difference it made. Well, the Bible says in verse 27, about midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. So perhaps hearing the crashing of the waves in the distance, the mist drenching their faces, not being able to see anything, the sailors took a sounding. Uh, what's a sounding? Well, I'm glad you asked. Soundings, for you non-sailors, 
Soundings were made by throwing a small rope into the water, a rope that was weighted at the end with lead, and it was marked periodically. And when the lead hit the bottom of the sea, the sailors then could measure and tell the depth of the water from the marks on the rope. They did this on the Mississippi River regularly during the steamship, uh, the paddle wheel era, and hence the name Mark Twain. Two marks, Mark Twain. And they discovered that the water was getting shallower and shallower. The depth went from 20 fathoms, about 120 feet, to 15 fathoms, only about 90 feet. Oh, if they only had a compass. They desperately needed a compass, a trustworthy tool, an instrument that despite the howling winds and the towering seas could cut through the furious gale and point them to safety. But alas, they had no such instrument. A growing feeling of panic set in. So what did they do? Let's pick up our text. Verse 29. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the sailors cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. The Bible says, fearing that their ships would be smashed on the rocks in this intense gale. The sailors lowered the lifeboat. They'd rather take their chances in this small little dinghy, this small little lifeboat, than to remain on board the ship. But, 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 but Paul, Paul sounded the alarm. Don't jump ship. Don't do it. Don't jump ship through the howling gale. Now the soldiers started listening. They cut away the ropes to the lifeboat. And they let it go. <sighs> even today. Even today, Paul's warning continues to ring out in my ears about, about the storms of life. Paul's warning is just as powerful and just as true today as it was back then. I've heard his voice. And he told me, David, don't jump ship. Don't do it, David. Don't jump ship. Over the years, I've done a lot of counseling. And I know the storms of life can be brutal. I know that. On this Memorial Day, I remember my best friend who literally gave his life for me in front of me in Vietnam many years ago. Literally to save my life. But the storms of life can be far more brutal than any storms at sea. In my own life, I've been there many times. I've questioned my own survival. And I know that our instincts, my instincts, tell us to bail out, give up, turn back, 
jump ship. But Paul's warning, Paul's warning to his shipmates, it is just as powerful and just as urgent to us today. Paul warned them that if they jump ship, they'd lose their lives. And even the officer in charge knew how tempting it would be for the sailors to jump ship and give up. So he ordered the sailors to cut the lines, to cut the lines of that lifeboat so there would be no possibility of escape. Now, you may be saying, David, I, I haven't jumped ship yet. I, I'm only towing just a little tiny lifeboat behind my ship. I'll, I'll give it three more weeks, uh, maybe two more months, maybe one more year. My friend, if you keep an escape plan, an escape option open in your life, I guarantee that you will end up using it. Brothers and sisters, let's get rid of the lifeboats. Let's get rid of the lifeboats. Let's cut the lines. Let the lifeboats crash to the sea below. And let's stay on board with the one who sometimes calms the storm, but sometimes lets the storm rage and calms his child. Let's stay on board. Let's stay on board with him. The Bible says in verse 33, just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been, been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Verse 36, then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. The Bible says the crew had been fighting the storm day and night, 24-7, for two solid weeks without any nourishment at all. They were sick to their stomachs. They were filled with fear, and that's what the men on Paul's ship experienced. <sighs> what I find even more amazing is that too many people today are responding to the storms of life in exactly the same way. They run their tanks dry, fighting battles on their own. And they end up physically weak, emotionally drained, and unable to sleep. But, but did you notice? Did you notice in verse 34 that Paul had hope in his heart, not fear. He believed in God, so he prayed to God in front of everyone on board. And did you notice in verse 36, the crew was encouraged and they all broke bread together. Uh, for some of these men, it may have been the first time in their life that they ever prayed. It may have been the only time in their lives that they ever, ever heard a prayer offered before a meal. In the middle of this howling storm, they paused and they witnessed a humble old man 
offering a prayer to the Lord of the wind, to the Lord of the waves, to the God of the storm. It was a simple prayer, but it was profound. It was profound. I believe that one of the best things that we can do when people around us are discouraged, and they are, is simply to break bread with them in communion. Oh, the little wafer and the little cup, that's great. That's wonderful. But it doesn't have to be just a little cup and a little wafer. It could be breakfast with coffee. It could be lunch. It could be inviting them over for your home. It could just be talking story with them. And just like the crew on the ship, they will be encouraged. So the Bible says in verse 39, when morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The Bible says 276 men on board didn't know where they were. But, but, but they could see. They could see through the mist, through the waves. They could see a little beach, a little bay, and they thought, well... It might be possible. It just might work. This could be a landing point for us. We're so close to the shore. So they gave it their best shot. They did all they could do to get their ship to the beach. But in spite of their best efforts, the ship slammed into the reef. And the surf began to tear it apart. The Bible says in verse 42, the soldiers, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners. All this was going on. What was on the soldiers' mind? We've got to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Verse 43. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, a prisoner, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard and make it for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship so everyone escaped safely to the shore. Did you know, you Bible scholars, did you know that if any of the prisoners, any of the prisoners escaped the ship, the soldiers would have to pay with their own lives, just the way it was. And that's why their plan was to kill the prisoners. But Paul who had made a huge impact on Julius, the centurion. Uh, and since Julius was the highest-ranking official on board, he ordered everyone to either body surf to shore or grab a board and surf to the shoreline. So here we find the first account of surfing in the Bible. I love it. This old Hawaiian boy. And just as our Lord promised... Everyone on board survived the storm. How many started the voyage? 276. Yeah, that's right. 
How many were promised they made it? 276. How many made it to shore? 276. God is faithful. Maybe you're experiencing a storm in your life, your own life right now, my friend. You are not alone. There are four types of storms that blow into our lives first. Storms of correction. Storms of correction. You remember Jonah, don't you? Jonah, in the middle of the storm, Jonah was tossed overboard and swallowed up by a giant fish. You remember that. Why? Because Jonah was rebelling against the Lord. And when we rebel against the Lord, he allows the storms to come to get us back on track, to get us where he wants us because his plans for us are good. Second, storms of perfection. Storms of perfection. Do you, do you remember when Jesus sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee? You remember that story in Matthew 14? Halfway through their journey, they ran into a huge storm. Why? Because Jesus knew that another storm was out there on the horizon. A storm of persecution within the church. How do I know? The Bible tells me so in Acts chapter 8. So Jesus was training his disciples to endure storms of persecution. Why? For their own perfection. Let me put it another way. Faith is not a pill that we take. It's a muscle that we work. Sometimes the Lord sends storms into our lives, not for correction, but for perfection. Because the way we act internally is where we're at spiritually. Third, storms of protection. Protection. You remember Noah, the story there in Genesis 6. God sent a storm to drown out all the sin that surrounded him. The storm raged for 40 days, 40 nights. But Noah and his family were not only protected in the storm, but they were protected by the storm. Oh, we might crowd, oh, I lost my job, my car just died, my friend betrayed me. But it just might, it just might be a storm of protection, protecting you from depending on someone or something other than our Lord. Fourth, storms of direction. In the chapter we studied this morning, our Lord said to, said to Paul, before you go to Rome, I'm going to allow you to be blown off course because there's something I want you to do for me. Something you would have never thought of on your own. You see, Paul, there's this unreached people group on this little island called Malta, and they need to hear the gospel. So I'm going to allow a storm to come, and even though it looks like it's blowing you off course, I will put you in the very place that I want to use you. So don't be blown away. I'm changing your direction because I want you to be a blessing. So there you have it. That's it, gang. Storms of correction. Storms of protection. Storms of perfection and storms of direction. So how can you know 
How can we know which one you might be in this morning? Ask God. Ask God. Read his word and listen to his still, small voice. And you'll be blown away by his goodness rather than blown away by the storm. In all that Paul did, the glory went to God. Paul never forgot it was all about what God had done, not what he, as a frail old man, had accomplished. Paul's model was Jesus Christ. And that model hasn't changed. God's word was his mandate. And that mandate hasn't changed. His mission was to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That mission hasn't changed. But too many people think they must first clean up their act before they ask Jesus into their heart. <laughs> My friend, just the opposite is true. Just the opposite. The Bible says first he wants to come into your life and then he's going to clean your life and fill it with joy overflowing. So this morning, let's take the bread. Let's take the cup as we worship him in communion, remembering that he is with us in the storms of life and he'll never leave us or forsake us.